a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm Doug Wright, filling in for the next couple of weeks, and we're getting some great response. I appreciate one texter clarifying something. I didn't quite know what the restaurant thing was. And the person said, in a restaurant when you're 12 years old, you basically have to pay the adult price. I, I get it. So should we lower everything to 12 years of age? Should it be 16? Several people have said, hey, when you can drive a couple of uh, you know tons of heavy steel around with a, a high-performance engine, well, 16, is it 18, is it 21? And it's interesting in our society, some things we have just deemed we put off for a little while. You kind of get into adulthood in stages. Should it all happen when the menu in the restaurant says you're an adult at 12? Should it happen when you can get a driver's license when you're 16? You get all the rights and privileges of adulthood. Should it happen at the age of 18? Should it happen at the age of 21? And it would be interesting also to ask right now on the gun issue, and uh, we'll share some more of the responses that have come in, but should we now, since we have the law, the federal law, that says handguns cannot be sold to a person who is under the age of 21 from a licensed dealer. Should we change that? Should we lower that to 18 rather than look at maybe raising some of these? Again, just being devil's advocate today because there appears to be a real evolution in thought on this. Uh, at uh, Kind of the heart and soul of Utahns. Our poll says 53% of those participating in our poll are saying, yes, we should raise the age to 21 to purchase any gun if it's through a licensed dealer. And 47% are saying no. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Climate is such a hot issue. And as a matter of fact, I'd like to set the stage on this. This isn't just in our community. This isn't just out and about in the country. This goes all the way to the United Nations. Listen to what this young woman said when she was speaking at a United Nations-sponsored event. This woman comes from one of the Scandinavian countries. Was it Sweden that she was from? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Here we go. The year 2078, I will celebrate my 75th birthday. If I have children, maybe they will spend that day with me. Maybe they will ask me about you. Maybe they will ask why you didn't do anything while there still was time to act. You say you love your children above all else, and yet you are stealing their future in front of their very eyes. Until you start focusing on what needs to be done, rather than what is politically possible, there is no hope. We cannot solve a crisis without treating it as a crisis. We need to keep the fossil fuels in the ground, and we need to focus on equity. We have not come here to beg world leaders to care. You have ignored us in the past and you will ignore us again. You have run out of excuses and we are running out of time. We have come here to let you know that change is coming, whether you like it or not. The real power belongs to the people. Well, I'll tell you, she was impassioned. And uh, that's where she kind of got down to the meat. But there were some parts where, with her voice practically quavering, she was just calling out the leadership of the world, really, 
for not doing anything to the degree that she felt it should be done for the future of the planet. I'm delighted today to have uh, Ari Grace joining us. Ari, thank you for being part of the program today. Thank you so much for having me. Student at Hillcrest High School, I understand. And then also Max Curtis is with us here in studio at KSL, and you're at the University of Utah. That's right. How's it going, Doug? Doing well. Thank you. And boy, when I listen to that young woman's impassioned plea to world leaders on a, on a UN stage, I thought, wow, this uh, around the country, we were just watching one of our innumerable monitors here in studio a while ago, and it's highlighting this. There's the shutdown DC effort. There's all kinds of things. Perhaps, first of all, I'd like to get to know both of you a little bit better. And Ari, could you just tell us a little bit about why this is such an impassioned issue for you. What makes you such an activist in this arena? Well, I'm a very logical person and a strong believer in science. I, for a long time, wanted to go into science um, when I was older. And I started seeing things on social media about the climate crisis. I mainly was seeing things about Greta, who we just heard And um, I thought she was really cool. So I was looking at her and I started looking at things regarding the climate just because I thought it was an interesting movement. But then once I started seeing the science and I started reading about it and doing my research, I realized that it's very clear that we are in a crisis and it's very clear what we have to do and we aren't doing it. So for me, it's just kind of appalling that it's so clear. It's We've made it a political issue, but in reality, it's not a political issue. It's science. It's fact. It's not something that we can debate. We can debate whether we want to do something for it or not, but we can't debate the science and the facts and just the fact that we aren't doing things, especially here in America, appalls me. And I I know that we have to, and the only way for me to help is to start being an activist. It's interesting you'd mention that. My kids are a little older than you, but very recently, my son Ian and my daughter-in-law Tyra, who visited Glacier National Park, they said, and they gave this to us as a Christmas gift. It was a little excursion up there. They paid for several of the excursions, and they said, Mom, Dad, you've got to go see this before the glaciers are gone. Mm. Yeah. There's There's something about that, because they said that they had witnessed and were told and saw up there how far the, the glaciers had, had receded already. And I was deeply touched. It kind of hit me right between the, the eyes when he said, you know, this is so beautiful up there, Dad. You've got to go see it. And I think it was Tyra who chimed, chimed in and said, yeah, and you've got to see it before the glaciers are gone. Very quickly before we take a break, and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about what has transpired here in Utah and what you hope for. But perhaps we get a little more background uh, quickly. We only have a minute or so, Max, on you. What brought you into this arena? Yeah, so I am brand new to the activist scene in Salt Lake. Um, I got involved just a few months ago, but um, just in that time span, I'm in the thick of it. I mean, Ari and I were on the planning committee for the Salt Lake City Global Climate Strike that happened last Friday. I'm, I'm running a climate change club at the University of Utah called Utah Climate Advocates. We got just over about 100 people to walk out with us um, to join the strike. Um, the reason I'm involved, I mean, I just I just know the facts. <laughs> um, we are on a trajectory that is not good. Um, human civilization is being threatened by uh, the amount of emissions that we are putting in the atmosphere right now. And global warming and climate change are going to threaten agricultural production, um, our economy, 
on the most fundamental levels. Um, and, and it scares me and, and not much is being done about it. So I feel like, why not? Like, I don't want to look back in 20 years and be like, why was I so complacent? And, and some people are talking about, and, and it varies, it's a little bit of a moving scale depending on which scientist or which group you're talking to. But many people are predicting there is a point of no return. There is a point where mm-hmm. the, the, the planet will change so dramatically that there will be things that will be lost forever. We'll- Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Talk a little bit more about that when we come back. And we'd love to hear from our KSL listeners, too. And our text line is wide open for you. Our Utah Community Credit Union text line at 57500. Leave us your thoughts, and we'll come back and we'll talk more with Ari and Max on Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. We're back on Inside Sources, and uh, we're just delighted to have two individuals who uh, worked very hard last week for the climate change strike. Ari Grace is here with us, and Max Curtis, uh, both uh, young people, one in college, one still in uh, high school at uh, Hillcrest uh, High School. And let's talk about the actual strike itself. There have been some discrepancies over the number of people that did participate. But Ari, what what are you hearing? What were the numbers and who came and how did they come and what did they do? We were originally expecting about 300 um, in the weeks coming up. We were saying, oh, like it looks like we're going to have about 300. Some people were saying 500. We woke up that morning to see there were strikes all over the world that day in almost every country and on every continent, including Antarctica, which was cool. And the numbers from all these other strikes were way larger than they were expecting. So we were hoping we would get something like that here. And we ended up having about 2,000 people. And I've heard people say more than 2,000, but we're going with 2,000 to be conservative. And what did these folks want to do? Obviously, work on climate change issues, but specifically, what what are the next steps? This gets people talking, but what are the achievable goals that your strikers, I'll use that term, wanted to accomplish? Well, here's the thing. We don't have a set of specific demands because this is such a wide movement. I mean, it wouldn't be a global climate strike if we were fighting for just one specific piece of legislation. The whole point was to build political capital to put pressure on our political representatives to start taking any action on climate change because it's it's my understanding there's almost nothing being done at all. Um, Personally, I would love to see an energy and carbon dividend bill tax uh, coal and other fossil fuel sources at the source, 
redistribute that money to lower and middle income households to make up for the increased electricity and fuel costs to force these fossil fuel companies to start transitioning towards a renewable and green energy instead of just passing on the cost to the consumers, which is what happened in France. Yellow vest protests. They put a tax on gas. Macron wanted to do that to help fight uh, carbon emissions, and mm-hmm. people got very upset. You can't just pass on these costs to consumers. It has to be big industry and big oil that is going to pay for this transition. That is one option. I think that's the bare minimum that we should be doing, honestly. Sometimes I wonder why these companies that now for 100-plus years have made their money on the traditional fossil fuels, uh, you would think that somewhere in a boardroom somebody, somewhere, just for their economic well-being and the future of that company, would start really heavily investing. Now, some of them say that they are. Some of them will run nice, warm commercials. Quite often, there'll be a sponsorship on a PBS, something or another, and they'll go, look what we're doing because we recognize climate change. And they talk about this. Everybody that I talk to indicates to me, including some lawmakers, by the way, that the jobs of the future, the growth in the future, the potential for high-paying jobs in the future would be in some of these traditional companies that are breaking away from the traditional products and the fuels. What what are your thoughts on that, Ari? I think that one of the main reasons that we aren't doing as much for the climate as we should be is obviously it's money. It's money. That's how the world runs. Um, that's how America runs. Isn't it short-term money, though? Positively, yes. <laughs> it's uh, There's a lot of investments we can make in clean energy and in reducing our emissions and basically things that are going to really help us in the future that will make us so much money. They will produce millions of high-paying jobs. But the problem is the government, the corporations, everybody in power, they don't want $10 billion in the future. They want $1 billion now because they're worried about what's happening right now. Sometimes, uh, and I understand, you know, in business, you've got to answer to the shareholders of today, and they're expecting their dividends and so on. But at some point, I put, I put this list together. I did a little research prior to you guys uh, coming. And uh, 97% of those who study the climate agree that, yes, indeed, it's not only the climate is changing, not only is the planet warming, but there are some relatively dire consequences along with that. And among those, these 97%, if you kind of do a cumulative uh, search, say that, first of all, you, we obviously are seeing the global temperature rise. We're seeing the warming oceans. We're seeing the shrinking of the ice sheets. We're seeing glacial retreats, which my kids pointed out. Dad, it's time for you to go to Glacier Glacier National Park while there are still glaciers to be seen. Uh, Decreasing uh, snow cover, sea level rising, declining Arctic sea ice, extreme events in in weather, weather, and even some cataclysmic uh, events. And this is another thing that's really spooky for those who are looking at the ocean, the acidification Yes. The, the, yeah. you, you look at that and what that means for ocean life and for those who are in the ocean, play in the ocean, but especially for the creatures that live in the ocean, this, this is a big deal. And 97% of those who study these issues are warning of these things. And again, sometimes the timetables differ, but the path we're on seems to be the same. So what are your hopes? What would you like to see happen? Now, you mentioned having major businesses that are still in the fossil fuel industry, and there will be a, tra- a transition time. There's no argument at all that, yes, it's cleaner than it was when I was a kid. 
I mean, you should have seen the air when I was a kid. You know, it was in the 1950s. They'd have to clean buildings in downtown Salt Lake City because the coal smoke, the coal dust, would darken the outside of the buildings, including the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Temple, which had become, when I was a kid, it wasn't just dark gray. It was almost black in some areas. But what would you like to see happen? Well, just like Max was saying, um, one thing that I'm with Fridays for Future Utah, one thing we're really pushing for is a price on pollution and that carbon tax, just like he was saying. But um, that's obviously a good first step. Like he said, it's something we need to start doing. But ultimately, we need emissions to stop. That's what we need. That's what the science has been telling us. And it's uh, it's crazy. It's a big deal. And it's really sudden. And it's going to we need a lot of science to help us make that manageable. But in reality, we need the emissions to stop. It's interesting, even when you see a smokestack now, and I remember them when I was a kid, if you drove past the Kennecott refinery, you could taste it. I mean, you drove drive by the old uh, refineries up here with the oil refineries, and boy, the smells and everything. So it, it has cleaned up. But even though maybe the particulates we can see are gone, it's amazing, too, how still just the consumption of fossil fuels contributes to the to the greenhouse gases, even if it appears to us out of the smokestack to be as clean as a whistle. For you, what are some of the, uh, the goals and dreams you have, Max? Well, I want to see everyday people mobilize to voice support of fighting climate change. Um, we need people to actually care about this more than just tweeting or posting on Facebook. We need to build a movement. And I invite everyone to start coming to the Fridays for Future protests every Friday at the state capitol here downtown um, and just get involved in activism. Like I didn't, I never saw myself becoming an activist. And just two months ago, I just said, you know what, I'm going to go for it. And I'm in the thick of it now. And anybody can do this. Like I, I really encourage people to be confident in themselves and to uh, join one of the many um, movements that we have here, Fridays for Future, Southern Utah Wildlife Association, Wasatch Rising Tide, the Sunrise Movement, Extinction Rebellion, Civil Riot, Elders Rising, 350.org, the Sierra Club, um, Uplift, You Guessed. I mean, there are so many things and organizations in Utah uh, for people to get involved with. With you, Ari, when you walk back into Hillcrest Higher, are are the other students there at Hillcrest, are, are they with you? Are they getting it? Or is it still kind of a kind of a joke? What I was thinking when Max was talking, um, when he was saying about people on Twitter and Facebook, it's very much the same, not just in my high school, not to call out the kids there, but all over globally, in Utah, in the country. It's very popular. The climate crisis and climate change and saving the sea turtles is extremely popular right now. It's a popular topic. And by popular, I mean there's millions of Instagram accounts, millions of Twitter accounts who their entire purpose is to talk about climate change, to talk about the crisis. And they post about using reusables and walking instead of driving. There's a quote from a song that I really like that I reference a lot, and it's in the bio of all of my social media. And it's, if you really believe the words that you preach, Get off your screens and out to the streets because there's millions of people online saying that this is a problem. Millions of people claiming that they're activists because they post about it or they retweet something and say, I'm angry about this. We need to do something. In reality, you need to get off your screens. You need to get out to the streets. You need to come strike. You need to get involved. 
And that's what we really need people Absolutely. to be doing. Yeah. What would you recommend for somebody? And maybe you're 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 touching their soul right now. And every generation has something that they are very very concerned about. My generation certainly had theirs. But where where should they go? How and where do they rally? How do they get off their screens and and maybe participate in a little bit uh, more of a meaningful way rather than sitting in their jammies and bloviating? <laughs> Um, so we actually, a part of the Global Fridays for Future and School Strike for Climate movement, every single Friday, um, whether you have school or you don't have school or it's a holiday, no matter what the weather is, we're at the Utah State Capitol right in the front from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. We've been doing that for over six months since last school year, and we school strike for climate every single Friday. And Uh, Not only do we need kids and high school students and middle school, even elementary school students, we need adults. We need bodies. We need people. In reality, adults being there, as sad as it is, politicians that we are trying to get their attention, they they don't. We're kids. They just think that we're kids. When there's adults there, it really enhances our message almost and shows them that your voters care about this topic. It's not just kids. So we need everybody that we can possibly get. I really appreciate both of you joining us in the second or two that we have. For those who have uh, some doubts about the validity of all of this, this doesn't come from some hairball backwater website. This comes from nasa.gov. The world is getting warmer. Preponderance of evidence says it's humans. Thermostats around the world have risen steadily. And then they give some of the specifics and what the future might hold. If we do not do something on that website from NASA is somewhat of an eye-opener. To both of you, Ari, thank you. Ari Grace with us along with uh, Max Curtis. Thank you, Max. And uh, keep us in the loop, will you? Of course. Thank thank you you so much for having us. Uh, Thank you for joining us here at KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.